We're in the series Supernatural with this, this verse that has been the framework for our series. Now, how many of you have been working on this verse? Okay, about eight of you. All right, good. No, a little few more. You guys remember the reference? The, the, the reference? Type it in online if you know what it is. Ephesians 3.20. All right, very good. Ephesians 3.20. And no help on the screen today. I promise. No help on the screen. So we're going to say it together, right? Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Let's say it again. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That verse holds so much promise that even when we think about our, you know, our imagination, what we can ask or think, God is able to do even more than that. And yet how many of us are still living within what is and with what is possible and even maybe doubting that more is available to us? We've been talking about hungering for more as the series began. And if you haven't listened to any of those messages or maybe the first time, I encourage you to go back and listen. How do we hunger for more of God's uh, life, his spirit in us, this, this living in faith? We talked about these miracle moments where we step back and say, wow, only God and again, I, I love hearing the stories. You got, many of you have been sharing with me about these moments where you've experienced God in a supernatural way. And it's encouraging to hear, have those conversations with one another. We talked about bold prayers, right? Praying for healing and provision and for help and for saving, right? And for God to guide us, that we live in that way. We talked about last week saying to God, uh, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That God would speak vision into us and give us direction and, 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 and lead us in ways that he has for us. Now we can just hear these messages and go, that's great, and we move on to the next thing and it's all forgotten. Or we can begin to try to live in that spirit. And today, I want to talk about supernatural courage. I believe none of this matters if we don't have the supernatural courage because to experience God in certain moments, we're going to have to step out in a way that requires courage from us. When I think about courage, I think back to my 30th birthday, and um, it's not really a huge testament to my courage, but there was a, a place for it. Um, Shannon wanted to surprise me with a, with a birthday present, and so uh, she called some friends together. We loaded up the van. She said, we're going somewhere. And we were driving, we headed out of town, and we got past all the familiar places, and I remember driving down the highway and seeing a billboard that said 1-800-SKYDIVE, and I didn't think a whole lot of it. Uh, kept driving until we pulled into that municipal airport. And so there it was, skydiving. Shannon was going to take me skydiving, except she wasn't going to go. She was just <laughs> having me go and pushing me out of the, the plane. And uh, she saved up to, to, to surprise me with that with some friends. I took out a good insurance policy. And then um, ended up, although I think it's probably void for skydiving. Well, so we got there, and it was one of those moments where I didn't really have this, I didn't like make this decision that I was going to go skydiving. And it was like, all right, now are you going to do it? Um, and so they do all that prep work, and you read, you know, read all kinds of stuff. You watch all kinds of videos, and they, they have you, you know, practice different things you're going to do and talk you through that, sign your life away eight different times, right? And then um, and you wait, and you wait, and it's like that anticipation builds. Ever done something that you're kind of anxious and nervous about, right? And you start feeling it, and it's in your body. And, and then comes that moment where they're like, all right, suit up. And now you're suited, suited up. You're in that jumpsuit, and you got the goggles on. You're feeling all cool, taking pictures, but you haven't even jumped yet, right? But that's, you know, you're getting excited. And then, you know, the time comes and the plane pulls up. You walk out on that tarmac. You get up on that plane and you hear those engines buzzing. And, you know, you're going up and 6,000 feet, eight. I don't remember how high we went. 
Um, and, and you're in that plane, and it's like, are we really going to do this? <laughs> are we really going like, to exit this perfectly good plane? But i got to say, it's one of the times where I felt the most safe ever in a plane because we had parachutes, right? Like when you're flying commercial, you're a little stuck up there. But so we're in the plane, and, and you, know, you get to that place, and, and now you can tell the plane's leveling off, and the door opens. It's like the door is literally open on the plane, right? The green light goes on. It's time, it's time to go. And you inch up, and all the, along, they're asking you, like, you, you ready to do this? You know, because they're not going to force you out the plane. You ready to do this? And, um, and I did a tandem jump, so I had a little more security there and, and the guy behind me that I was strapped to. But it was one of those, you, are you ready to go? And you get in those moments, you have to overcome fear, right? What's the fear? Death. <laughs> Being mangled. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of scary. You have to overcome fear. You have to have trust. I mean, what am I trusting? I'm trusting the, the, the guy that I'm strapping myself to, and, and we're both trusting We're both trusting a parachute. We're trusting. We, we heard all about it. We read all about it. It said it's going to open up. It's going you know, it's, it's to work the way it should. They've had all kinds of jumps, and you have to trust that. You have to overcome your fear, and there you are. And I remember standing on the edge of that plane, just hearing the wind rushing and just going, oh, man, what are we going to do? And you're at that moment of courage. That moment of decision where you kind of stay in the plane and you do what's comfortable, you do what you know, you know what's familiar, you ride the plane back down and get out and go, we had a nice view. Or <laughs> do you experience something different? Courage. How do you find courage when you want to experience something different in the supernatural? How do you find the courage to step past fear, to trust God in those uncomfortable places? You know, maybe not jumping out of a plane, but there's so many different areas in life where we see courage, where we need courage, where we experience courage. I mean, you think about those that have, that have had to fight on the front lines, right? Storming the beaches of Normandy, and you go, courage. How did you face situations like that? Maybe you've had to face some great courage asking somebody out on a first date. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Maybe you need courage to, to go and to ask your boss for a raise, or maybe you need courage to stand up to a bully. And that's not just in elementary school. There's bullies in the adult world as well. <laughs> right? How do you find the courage, those places to step out and to do something different that you haven't before? And so we look for that courage, and, and, and we look for courage in our faith. How do we live that out every, every day? We need courage. It doesn't take that much courage to come up and to show up in church. I mean, sometimes you have to get out of bed and overcome that and be here and, and dial in and watch. But there's courage in our faith. When, when was the last time you did something courageous in your faith? Even here at church where you maybe stepped out into a way to serve or to lead in a way you've not done before. It takes courage to, to get baptized. To be willing to step out in front of everyone and be dunked underwater. And some of you, that's the hurdle. It's not the faith, but that's the hurdle. It's the fear. The courage of, of, of following Christ. The courage of doing something for Jesus in a different way. Maybe you're called to start some ministry or to do something in the community. The courage to go on a mission trip. Courage in so many different ways and places. It takes courage, and that seems to be the, 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 the piece that's keeping us from experiencing the supernatural. And when I think about the consequences of not having courage, man, how many opportunities have we missed because we lacked courage? We were afraid to go on the dance floor and make a fool of ourselves. <laughs> we missed out on maybe a good time, hanging out with somebody, right? Experiencing something new. Maybe you never got to jump out of a plane. It's a cool experience. You should try it sometime. <laughs> you know, maybe you didn't visit a new country because, well... I don't know the culture. I don't know the language. I'm too afraid. I didn't experience the new food. I don't know if I would like it. Right? So many different ways we, we shrink back into our little worlds and we don't experience what God has for us. What do we miss out on when we don't have courage? How many people don't know about Christ because we had fear? 
I know I can name a lot in my life who I've just not had the courage to in those moments where maybe I felt God nudging me or I, I think about people I went to high school with or in college with or neighbors I've lived with, I've tried to build relationships with, but, but sometimes those moments came and I just, I chickened out. I think, who doesn't know Christ because I didn't have the courage? Who doesn't know hope and eternal freedom because we didn't have the courage to stand up? I mean, imagine, imagine if we didn't lack courage. Imagine if we had supernatural courage. What would your life look like if you had courage in all situations and you just went into it? Wouldn't that be awesome? We would be telling some of the most amazing stories ever. But you know what we talk about? The latest thing we binged on Netflix. Guilty. Right? That's our courageous stories. You know what I did for hours the other night? You know what new toy that I bought? You know how, what I spent my money on? Like the vacation I went on, those are some, there's some great things in life to enjoy, but I think we lack stories because we lack courage. We lack stepping out into experiencing something new. What would it look like to live in the supernatural and to not lack courage? So we're going to talk about that, that today. Uh, strap your seatbelts on. I got a lot to cover, and I don't want to cut any of it out. So we're either going to go fast or we're going to go long. What do you choose? I know. I always go fast. I'm like, why do I talk so fast? I got a lot to get in. All right. So let's pray real fast. No, we're going to pray, and then we'll, and then we'll jump into our topic this morning. Heavenly Father, all of us need courage, Lord. There's so many things in this world that, that create fear and doubt and that keep us from experiencing what you have for us. And Lord, just beyond the natural into the supernatural, God, you're calling us into that. And Lord, I pray that, I pray that today we would, would get the courage in some area in our life where what we're, something we're dealing with, God, where, where we need you to give us the courage to step into what you have for us. So would you Move among us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The scene is this, that the executioners were ready to bring the prisoners and to lead them to their death. The order came to the executioners that they needed to, to increase the punishment tenfold. And so they, they did as they were told, and in marched the prisoners. Three prisoners were coming forward, guards were with them, and, and, and the choice of execution was death by burning. I can't imagine a more awful way to go, death by burning. That was the preferred method of execution. And so as the, as the guards brought the prisoners in, actually the furnaces had been heated so hot that even the guards actually, they were consumed by the fires that were coming out of the, out of the furnace. And there stood these three prisoners. What was their crime? What were they accused of? Actually, they were high-ranking government officials. And yet they were there because of their insubordination to the king. They did not follow his mandate. They did not follow his decree. And this was their punishment. And what's crazy is you look at their story is that these were, these were men who were, who were raised and who were, who were trained in this government system. And they had come to these places of prominence and leadership and respect, and yet here they are getting ready to be executed in the most awful way of being thrown into a fire. And so there they stood. But what was odd is as you took a look at the scene, these three men ready to be burn, burned, there was this strange like, calm about them. There was a strange peace about them that, that you, you kind of go, who experiences that in that moment? But you didn't even have a second to take that in because right after that, to everyone's astonishment, the executioners pushed the men into the fire. We read about the story in the Old Testament. And the context of the story is there's this great empire, the Babylonian Empire, and there's a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar had taken conquest of Jerusalem, 
and had taken some of the people of God, the Israelites had taken them captive. And he actually took some of the, the best and the brightest that the land, that the city had to offer, and he took them into the king's court and wanted to raise them and train them and prepare them to be in the king's service. And a few of these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now those three names, if you grew up in church or knew Sunday, been in Sunday school, you recognize those names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three young men had risen through, through the ranks. Daniel at one point was put in charge because he was able, their, their friend Daniel, who was able to interpret the king's dream. This king had this crazy dream that no one could interpret. And God gave Daniel the ability to interpret this dream about the statue made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And nobody could understand it. And Daniel said, you know, this is, this is God telling you about the kingdom of Babylon, that right now it's in its golden era and you are the king. But in the subsequent eras, it's going to eventually crumble, and it's not going to be as great. And the king rewarded Daniel for being able to interpret this dream and, and put him in a position of power. And then Daniel brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego along, and he said, I want them to be rulers over the province of Babylon. And so they had these incredible positions of authority and power. But this dream got to King Nebuchadnezzar's head somehow, and he decided to make a statue a 90-foot-tall statue. Imagine a, a statue three times or more higher like, than, this, than, than this building, right? 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. And the decree was that, that, that this statue, when it was completed, was going to be a great celebration, a great ceremony. And so imagine like the, the Washington Mall, right, in D.C. And you think about like the, the Washington Monument, right? It's taller than that. But, um, but imagine that scene, and imagine that scene filled with people, like you might on you know, certain rallies or inaugurations, right? You, you see all those people. And so he said, on that day when that 90-foot statue was revealed, the, the decree went out that, that when the music plays, everyone needs to bow down. Everyone needs to bow down and to worship the statue. And so on that day, the king called together all of the, the people, it was people from different lands and languages, and they, they came, the leaders, the advisors, everyone in the king's court, everyone was there. Hundreds, thousands of people on this day. And so imagine the scene. They're all gathered there, and here's the revealing of the statue. Maybe they had some giant cloth over it, and they pulled it off, and, and there it was visible. And then the music began to play. And everyone knew it was their cue, and you could almost like hear the sound, right? Imagine hearing a whole crowd bowing down at the same time, like a right? You just didn't see it, like in unison. All go down. All, everywhere you look, people are bowing everywhere to the statue as the music's playing. But you couldn't help but notice three individuals standing there in the midst of the sea in this crowd. They stood out like sore thumbs. Imagine being them. Imagine being in that place. Would you feel a little vulnerable? Would you feel a little bit like all eyes were on you? And so it was. Everyone was watching. Everyone was seeing. These three did not bow. Well, word came back. Word came back to the king. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they didn't bow to any other idols. They didn't bow to, to some other god. They only had one god whom they worshipped and who they would bow to, and they were not going to compromise in that moment. And so they stood. And then they were brought before the king. And we read about this in Daniel 3, verse 12. In Daniel chapter 3. But there, so here's the, the accusation that comes to the king from some of the king's uh, personnel. He says, but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Well, the king was enraged. The king's face turns purple. The king is upset. What are you doing? What do you think? Why are you not following this decree? Why are you the only ones who do not bow? 
I'm sure he's frustrated. You of all people, leaders in my kingdom, why are you not modeling this? Why are you not doing this? And he gets upset and he wants to give them one more opportunity. And here's what we read in verse 15. He says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? There's, the, there's the, the choice. There's the opportunity. This is decision time. Bow down and live or stand up and die. Bow down and live or stand up and die. They knew the consequences. They knew what was going to happen. What would you have done? I mean, really put yourself in that situation. What would you have done in that sea of people? What would you have done? Would you have bowed down or would you have stood? knowing what the consequence is. I'd like to think that I would stand, but I wonder if in reality I would have bowed down. What about the second time when you're brought before the king? I mean, you're given a second chance, a second opportunity. Now you're standing in front of the most powerful person in the land who just has to do this or this, and your life is in the balance. What would you do? What would you say? But see, I don't think we have to even play ourselves out in that scenario because I wonder how many times have we bowed down when the music's played all around us? I know how many times in my life have I bowed down when the music has played, when there wasn't a life and death consequence. Culturally, the music plays for us all the time. There's always a music playing. There's always something that's causing us and and, and asking us to bow down. And I think one of the things, as I think about this, this, this topic of living in the supernatural, is I think we as followers of Christ have become so accustomed to our culture and think this is our culture, this is our land, this is, our, you know, this is us, this is ours. We forget that we are foreigners and aliens, even in the United States. The scripture says we are foreigners and aliens here in this world. This is not our home. And yet we've gotten so accustomed to the music that when it plays, we just bow down. The music's always playing, right? Hollywood's always playing music. Great scores of music and movies and in, and in shows. And what do we do? We go to Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and... Hulu, and what are all the other ones? Paramount Plus, and Discovery Plus, and Apple Plus, and Plus, and Plus, and Plus, right? Because the music plays, we gotta go, and we bow down. And we've kind of set our judgment aside, and then I've been guilty of that. We just bow down, the music plays. Amazon Prime Delivery plays some music for us. Target plays music for us. And we walk down those aisles, and we hear that music, and we become consumers, and we we bow down to the music. We bow down in those aisles, and we purchase them. The media is playing music for us. Political parties are playing music for us. When the donkey plays the music, or when the elephant plays the music, way too many Christians are bowing down and going, this is our, this is, we're marching to the beat of that drummer. We're marching to the beat of this drummer. That is not the drummer whose beat we're supposed to follow. But we hear the music, and we march. We blindly, we go. And we say, this is what it is. What music are you listening to? Do you bow down or do you stand up? At work, at school, so many different places. The music plays and do we just go along or do we stand up? When the music plays, do you have the courage to stand up and stand out? Because that's the reality. If you stand up, you will stand out. You know that, right? (laughs) That's the reason we don't want to do it. Because if I stand up, I'm going to stand out. And we most of the time don't want to stand out. Not if it's against what everyone else is doing or in a place that's not, in a position that's not popular. So what do we do? It takes courage if you want to stand. But the problem is too many Christians, too many of us, we bow down. When we bow, 
we blend. When we blend, we compromise. When we compromise, we lose our witness. Right? When we bow, we just blend in. When we've blended in, we've compromised something probably in our heart. And when we've compromised it, in the end, what happens? We've compromised our witness. We don't stand out. There's, not, there's nothing to distinguish. There's not the way of Jesus. There's not the supernatural that stands out in that place. And this is a challenge. And, and we've all been there. I've been there. Too many times that I care to, to, to say. You know, but, but what we do is we say, you know, well, faith is, a, faith is a private thing. That's the way we get out of it, right? Faith is, pri- faith is private. It's personal. I'm not here to make a show. Yeah, you're not here to make a show. I'm just going with the flow. Ever use that phrase? Just going with the flow? You know where the flow leads? The sewer. <laughs> right? If you go with the flow, you go to the sewer. But we go with the flow, and I don't know how many times is, when I was younger did I use language outside the house that I would never use in, my, in the house or, or in, you know, in church. Sorry, Mom and Dad, if you're hearing that for the first time. Because it was too hard to stand out from others, and, and you know, I didn't want to admit going to church. And even, even now, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I don't want to admit that I'm a pastor. <laughs> Because it'd be awkward, it'd be weird, and so just kind of keep that on the down low. We face these pressures. Maybe you're at work and you say, well, I can't stand up for my faith, and I'm not allowed to say anything, I'm not allowed to talk about my faith. You're bowing down. But I would face getting fired. Say that to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was literal. Both their job and their life, Right? I mean, this is a challenging story for us, and it causes us to say in an extreme situation, how did they handle that? Well, so how did they find the courage? So I want to look at three keys to supernatural courage, how we can overcome that. And we're going to see that in their response. There's, there's a couple of verses here, Daniel 3, 16 to 18, that are going to give us some clues into this courage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after they were given this one more chance, they said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Three keys to supernatural courage. The first one I see from them is that they lived with nothing to prove. They lived with nothing to prove. I see that in, in, in their first response here. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. So much of our lack of uh, courage comes from our lack of self-confidence, lack of knowing who we are, and, and, and this idea that we have to prove ourselves. We're not comfortable in our own identity. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look different from the crowd. And so what are we trying to prove in, in, in these situations? It's an identity and an ego issue. I mean, especially, remember, especially back in the days of, of school, right, of elementary school or middle school and high school and college, so many times it's, it's our status, it's our image, it's what do people think about us, it's popularity, it's acceptance, it's such a strong pull. And so how do we, how do we live in a way that we have nothing to prove? Well, it comes down to our identity. And we have to have a strong identity in Christ, know who you are and whose you are. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as kids, when, they were, when, when their city was invaded, their country, and they were taken captive, we see early on in the book of Daniel how they stood to their values. They stood to their faith, even in those times. Where did that come from? 
How do they already have that as young people? And I think I take that as a challenge for us as a church, for parents, for grandparents, for us in the park kids area and the children and the youth and college areas. How are we instilling the kind of faith and identity in the, in the next generation that can stand and say, I've got nothing to prove. I don't have to prove myself to you. I know who I am. I know who my Savior is. I know what our values are. I know what we stand on. And that gives us an incredible freedom that I don't have to prove myself to anyone. How are we building that into the next generation that have nothing to prove, regardless of what the world around us thinks? That develops a quiet confidence that gives you this, this, this sense of, of peace that a person can have. But I love how they also said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Even though there was this king, there was not, there's not the sense of, I have to prove myself to the king. And yet sometimes we have to feel like we have to prove ourselves to the people around us. Even in that situation, they understood the only one we have to prove ourselves to, the only one we have to be accountable to, is to God. And it's not to the king, it's not to anyone else, but they knew who they were. When you are tempted or pressured, ask yourself, what am I trying to prove? In those moments where you may lack courage, what are you trying to prove? What, what, are, what am I doing in this situation that I'm afraid of? What is my identity? Where is that rooted in? The second key is this. They lived with nothing to fear. Now, we could talk the whole time about fear, right? I mean, we, like we said in the beginning, fear and courage, I mean, they, they, they go hand in hand. Fear is, is the reason we need courage, right? Free, fear is what freezes us. Fear keeps us from, from stepping out. And we can either let fear quash our courage or let courage come in and overstep our fear. I mean, we wouldn't need courage if, if, if there wasn't fear, right? That's the whole reason the two go hand in hand. Look how Daniel, uh, how they responded in Daniel 3.17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. So first of all, we got nothing to prove to you. We're not going to defend ourselves. Then they come back and say, look, and what we know is God is able. Now there's a faith there. There's a confidence there in who God is. He's able. I don't, it doesn't matter. You can, you've got a massive furnace there blazing. God is able. It's an impossible situation. The king is, is in front of you, but they had this ultimate faith, knowing that God is able to save us. See, sometimes we think that, that, that those who are courageous don't get knots in their stomach, that they're not afraid, that their heart's not pounding. Not true. All those things are happening, but there's the sense of, God, I'm stepping into something you're going to help me do. You're going to go with me. You're able. I can face whatever situation that I am facing. And so they went for it. And you see, they had experiences in their past as I talked about their captivity when they were brought into Babylon, they, they stood up for their faith. They stood for their values. They stood for, for their foundations. And God rewarded them. God was with them. God provided and took care of them. And so when we look back and we say nothing to fear, well, look back on your life. Where have you seen God come through time and time again? Is he going to let you hang this time? That's where we come to those moments where we go, wow, only God, right? We step back and say, God is able. That's why we need to believe in that supernatural, because God is able. And so when we look at courage and we look at it and compare it to fear, supernatural courage focuses on God's ability and strength and not ours. And that's where we need to take a different stance versus what can I do? What am I able to accomplish versus what can God do? And they had this extreme confidence, God is able. And when you have that kind of faith, you can face the scariest thing that you're dealing with in your life. You're going, I know God is able. I know God can come through. God can do that. And sometimes this is where we get stuck. Where we go, okay, I've got nothing to fear. But lingering in our head, we go, but what if he doesn't come through? But what if it doesn't happen? Do we still have faith? Do we still have courage? 
Well, look at what they did next, what they said next, the third key, live with nothing to lose. Verse 16. But even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't come through, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You can have amazing courage when you have nothing to lose. Fear of losing is what keeps us from risking, right? There's a freedom. The more comfortable we get, the more established we get, the more we have at stake, the less we're willing to take steps of courage and take risk. But here in the situation, they even realize, God, even if you don't, right, even if you don't come through, even if it doesn't happen, we're still not going to bow. What are you afraid of losing? That's what I think we've, when, when it comes to dealing with culture and standing up and, and, and living out our faith, again, reputation, status, power, influence, we're afraid to lose those very things, a relationship. A lot of us probably don't have to fear death for standing up for our faith, thank God, but there are places in the world absolutely today where that's happening. How do you live with nothing to lose? In the New Testament, Paul, who was this guy who just went into all kinds of crazy situations, just read the book of Acts and, and see some of the places where he put himself into life-threatening situations, places where he was like, let me in there, and they're like, his friends are like, no, Paul, you can't go in there. They're going to kill you. But he had this courage. And you know what he said in Philippians 1, verse 21? He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Man, <laughs> if, if you can get to that place in life, courage is going to be off the charts. Hey, if you keep me alive, I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. And Christ is with me. And I'm going to do that. And what's the worst you're going to do to me? You're going to kill me? Great. That's gain. I get to be with Jesus. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do to somebody like that? And that's the attitude that these, these three men had. Like, what are you going to do? Even if God doesn't, well, we're okay. We're not going to bow down. We're not going to compromise our integrity. We're not going to compromise our values. This is a win-win situation for us. Put us out of our misery in this life, then. That's fine. We'll go to be with Jesus. Or we're going to continue to serve the king and, and try to do what God has called us to do. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to compromise character, faith, our witness. Imagine living your life as a follower of Jesus, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, nothing to lose. Man, that would be a radical, a radical movement of Jesus people in this world. But what happens so much, we get out of a place of comfort where we are gathered with others, we get back into the world, and sometimes it feels like we're not very accepted out there. There may be values that go against culture, and I don't want to stand for those, but what happens if we had that kind of courage? We'd be unstoppable. Let's go back to the story. How did it end for our three men? How did it go for them? When the king heard this, he was so enraged. I mean, he, was, he was ticked, right? Heat the fire ten times as hot. Get some armed guards, throw them in the fire, get them out of here. I'm done with them. Remember where we picked up the story, right? There they stood in front of the fire and the furnace, and they were pushed in. But wait, <laughs> Story's not over. They didn't burn up. I know in our, in our Western mind, in our scientific mind, we kind of go, that's impossible. You're right, it is impossible. Only God. That's a miracle moment. It's an only God moment. It's a miracle story. And, and, and beyond the three of them not burning up, it was like, wait a second, I see something else. There's a fourth figure in the fire. It looks like an angelic being or some divine being. They, they didn't quite know what it was, but there was a fourth person, and they weren't burning up. And so the King Nebuchadnezzar comes up, and we read about it here. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. 
Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. <laughs> wow. Only God. Do you have to suspend your disbelief right now? And how do we, what do we do with that story? It's in the Bible. It's, it reminds us God can do amazing things in impossible situations and in their courage. But even if he didn't, these guys were ready to do whatever it, it took to stand and be with, with Jesus. And you know what the powerful thing is? When we have that kind of witness, when we stand up in those situations, the ultimate glory goes to God. And when we stand, eventually others will understand who we are to bow our knee to. Look what it says then in Nebuchadnezzar's response. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, ultimately, in the end, it was the test testimony. It was the witness. They could see what was happening. And when we talk about this, this supernatural world, you know how other people are going to experience it and see it? It's through us. It's through the kind of courage we have, the kind of steps that we take, the things that go beyond, and they go... Mark, I know you. How are you able to? What? I, I, it doesn't make sense. It's a supernatural courage. God does more than what we are capable for, and he says that for you and to others. So be courageous. Don't bend when the music of our culture plays and the pressure is on to bow. That was Old Testament. Well, what about the New Testament? I think Jesus, when he uh, sent out his 12 disciples, we read about it in Matthew 10, 16. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And then he goes on. You're going to be handed over. You're going to be flogged. Uh, you're going to go to court. You're going to be on trial. People will try to kill you. Sign me up for that. <laughs> How did he have followers? <laughs> I mean, this is Jesus saying, I'm sending you out as a sheep. What, what does a wolf do to a sheep? Destroys it. <laughs> He's saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm sending you out. This is going to happen. And he didn't, he didn't shy away and say, well, I just want to keep you just safe. Just do the things. That, lay low. Don't let anyone know about who you follow. Your faith. Just go with the crowd. Don't, let the, don't influence the Romans or anyone. Just hole up at home. Hole up in the church. Read your Bible. Pray with each other. But make sure, don't broadcast it out anywhere. Because your number one objective is to be safe. Jesus never spoke those words. I mean, he was right up front. It's going to be brutal out there if you stand. And then he says in verse 18, but this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. This is your chance. What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They stood up and now they had a chance to explain why they were standing up, what was behind it. They had a chance to influence leaders and authorities and rulers. And then Jesus said, when you are arrested, here's the awesome thing, because you might be like, I don't know what to do in those situations. I wouldn't know what to say. When you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. Great. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. That's supernatural. That's God saying your spirit will be with you. In those times where you go, I don't know how I'm going to stand. I don't know how I have the courage. I don't know what I'm going to say. God will give you the words. And you're going to experience a story where God is working through you and moving through you. That's supernatural. But it's going to take that courage. Paul says, never be afraid, never be ashamed of your witness. Always be ready to let people know about the hope that you have. If we want to experience the supernatural, we have to have the courage to step into those times. And I don't even, have to, I don't even think you have to go out looking for those opportunities. They will find you, right? Every day, those opportunities find you in those moments of courage. Are you going to feel like you have something to prove, or do you know who you are, what your identity is? 
Are you going to be able to step out in fear and go, I, you know what, God's able. He's with me. I can do this. Can you step out there? I've got nothing to lose except my ego and my pride and my status, but those things, are, they don't count for anything. God's called me to something more than that. Our world needs a courageous church. Our world needs courageous people. We say whatever it takes. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to take those kinds of steps of courage? You know, when I think about back to standing on the edge of that plane and thinking about jumping out, there's so many things where it's like we can, sometimes I feel like we live as followers of Christ up to that point. The airplane's the church. The parachute is our faith in Christ. It's God's word. And you know what we say? We're, we walk around with our parachutes on going, you know, I've got, I serve this awesome God. He's changed my life. He can save me. He can do all kinds of amazing things. Following Jesus is thrilling. It's amazing. Skydiving is awesome. I've read books about it. People have told me stories about it. It's so cool. Uh, are you going to jump? No. No, no, but I want to keep talking about it. I want to study the manual a little bit more. I want to hang out with other skydivers a little bit more. I just want to like, you know, I love the plane ride. The plane ride's awesome. Every Sunday when we come into the plane and we sing songs, and it's just so awesome. I love sitting on the plane with others, and they serve cookies and coffee sometimes. They have hot dogs after like watching the Super Bowl and stuff. It's so cool. Right, but we never step out of the plane. We've been in church so long, some of you have worn parachutes your whole life and talking about maybe God or being around it, but you've never stepped out. You've maybe never taken that step of courage. It's when you step out that faith is activated. That's when faith is activated. That's, when you, that, that's the only way you'll truly know whether the parachute's going to open and save you. All right? And that's where you experience it. When you're on the ground, when you get to share, man, it was awesome. I was out there. It was like, you know, you know, those wind was blowing, and the goggles were in my face. My cheeks were fluttering, and the world was coming at me. And I hit that cloud, and man, it was just a cool experience. And then the parachute opened, and I was like, oh. Oh, I got to experience this amazing ride back down and your heart's beating, your adrenaline's pumping and you're going, that was awesome. That makes for a much better story than the plane came back down and I took my parachute off and I put it on next week again on Sunday and we tried again. Oh, we love talking about parachutes and hanging out together, right? You have to take that step. Whether it's a step to, to step out, whether it's to stand up and not bow down, the supernatural in our lives gets activated when we have the courage, not in who we are, but in who Jesus is. It's not confidence in me, it's confidence in Christ. Where do you need to take a step of courage? Maybe even today, maybe even right now. Maybe you've been in this church for years and years and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been so close to it, you've been so near, but you've never just said, you know, Lord, here is my life. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home. Maybe you've been around it all the time, but you've never had the courage to own it for yourself and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. What about taking a step of baptism? Yes, I need to declare my faith publicly. Jesus says those who believe and are baptized will be saved. I'm, I'm going to be obedient to that. I've got nothing to lose. So what? I'm going to be wet in front of people. Big whoop. People got other things to talk about when they get home, you know? I'm not that important, but I'm surrendered to Christ. And the church celebrates that. Stepping out into a place of serving. Maybe it's a place of giving. Maybe it's somewhere in your work. Maybe it's a, with your family. Maybe it's time to have a hard conversation with somebody. Maybe it's somebody that you've not had the courage to just take that extra step in, in sharing what difference Christ has made in your life. I don't know where you need that courage. But it's not faith until you jump. That's when it comes alive. And that's when I know and I know and I know and I've experienced a dozen times in my life 
that that's when you'll experience the supernatural power of Christ in your life. I long for that for the church. I need that in my life again. I'm trying to encourage myself to be more courageous. And I pray that you will do that too. Let's bow our heads and pray. I want you to reflect right now and ask God, where do you need courage in your life? What step do you need to take? Heavenly Father, I so much don't just want us to talk about how awesome you are and how you provide for us and how you come through for us and what it's like to live a life of faith and courage. God, I want us to experience it. I want us to experience it each and every day, and I know many of us do, but Lord, we all get back into our comfort zones and our safe places and don't want to make waves and go with the flow and just keep it personal. Lord, help us to be courageous, to be a courageous witness for you in this world around others. God, that, that more would come to know you and the freedom that comes from living at peace. God, with nothing to prove, nothing to fear, God, nothing to lose. May we live with that kind of freedom. Move among us in your church, God. Father, today, if there are any here in this room or listening online, Lord, that have not taken that courageous step of just surrendering their life to you, and experiencing what it means for you to come and to fill and to lift them, to be that parachute that opens and carries them through. Lord, I pray that today would be that day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.